to the City Hill podcast. We really hope you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about City Hill, please visit our website, cityhill.london. Today we're kicking off a new series called Nameless. So we, over these four weeks of this month, we're going to be looking at different heroes in the Bible whose name is not mentioned. Because so often in life, there's this pressure that you and I have to have. Like, like we've got to be a big name. I've got to be this. I've got to be that. This is, these pressures. We buy into big name brands. Most of the time, it doesn't even mean it's any better. Most of the time, it's made by the same people that make the clothes for other organizations and stuff like that. We always buy into these big names. So we're going to be looking at a couple of names that aren't that big in the Bible. They're not known. And we're going to be looking at some of the things that God wants to say to us in our situation. So this week, we are looking at the Exodus story. So I want to set the scene. In Exodus 1, what's happened is there is a people that have derived from a family group. And it goes back to a time where a guy called Joseph, who had an amazing outfit, um, multicolored, really cool, loved those threads. He had a situation with his brothers, they were jealous. He told them a dream of what God was going to do in his life. Uh, they deaded him, and we you know the whole kind of story where he ends up getting sold into slavery, he ends up in slavery, he ends up in Egypt. God uses him, takes him straight out of a prison, all the way straight through to, I'm skipping loads, um, Pharaoh's household, where he gives him the advice that he needs to not only save a nation, but to save multiple nations in the surrounding area with the strategy for sustainable provision of food throughout the years that are coming. And so he does all of this amazing stuff, but it says the beginning of Exodus 1 is it says that there came a new king, a new pharaoh who didn't remember Joseph. He didn't remember who, who Joseph was, what he'd done for them. He didn't remember why these children of Israel, this offspring over like a couple of hundred years were now here and the story of how they were a source of saving their nation. If they had, they may have made different choices. If they'd remembered the goodness and the grace that touched their life through this people group, this this ethnicity. And so what happens is he's forgotten and then he looks around. And I want to pick up one really quick, 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 quick um, passage. Because it says that in chapter one, so if you want to have a look, Exodus chapter one, There rose a new king, did not know Joseph, and he said, Behold, the children of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. You see, what happens is when we start to see other people and people groups as they and them, do you see how quickly they and them is? as quickly as you differentiate and you separate and you see those people there. And where this conversation leads is he goes, we've got to get this under control. We've got to, we've got to deal with this. We've got to oppress these guys. We've got to hold them down. He says they're multiplying a lot. So we need to, we need to stop that. So he gets them working harder. He gets them um, so busy with like all these jobs and makes them slaves that he's hoping it's going to have an effective decrease on the population. But what happens in the Bible, it says they multiplied even more. And at this moment, him and his guys get together and they have another meeting and they go, listen, like, look at this situation. They're even more than before. We said that they were worried that if another enemy would rise against us, they will side with them. They'll go on their side and then we'll lose and this won't be good for us. There's too many of them. And so he says with his guys, they come up with a plan and they say to the midwives, to Jewish midwives, that when a boy is born, you're to kill it. But when a girl is born, that's cool. You leave them. So they have this idea and this plan that they're going to, try and secretly and silently kill off an ethnicity. 
it's a, like a silent genocide. You're not going to go around and just massacre people. What you're going to do is you're going to take out all the men so the women will marry our men and we'll just slowly remove them out of the equation and then we'll just be one people group. It'll just be Egyptians and that'll be it. We'll, we'll bring them into us. That's the plan. It's a very sly plan. It's a quite a clever one. But what happens is the Jewish midwives, of course, they're not going to do that. These Hebrew women, they're not going to just kill off all these boys. So what they start to do is they start getting, hey, look, the baby was born too quick before we got there and so we weren't able to do it. And so there comes a point where then Pharaoh has to then step it up and go like, this got out of hand. We tried to um, control them and slow down their reproduction. It didn't work through all the slavery and the stuff that we were pushing on them. We've now tried to get the Jewish midwives to kill these baby boys. This isn't happening. We're going to have to decree this as law. We're going to make this like illegal. We're going to make this genocide. We're going to make this institutional. And we are now going to kill every single baby boy. They're to be thrown into the Nile. So these are Pharaoh's words. Every son that is born to Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. The more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, the more they became an issue. They were made to work as slaves. You see where a perspective leads when you give it oxygen. You give a perspective or an idea that at the time within your group or your circle, you give that oxygen and over time it can lead you to incredibly dark places incredibly, incredibly quick. So we lead to a place of genocide. Kill their baby Hebrew boys, just keep the girls. You can see where that ends up, phases them out. And now it's at the point where it's just, it's just kill them. It's just daily duppy of all the baby boys in, of the Hebrew people. Now in Exodus chapter two, now a man from the house of Levi went, took his wife, a Levite woman, the woman conceived and bore a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket of bulrushes and dabbed it with bitumen and pitch. And she put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant women and she took it. When she opened it, she saw a child and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity, had compassion on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go call you a nurse from the Hebrew woman to nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter said, go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She called him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. Moses' mum is an absolute genius. She's an absolute friggin' genius. What she does is she follows Pharaoh's command to the letter. Pharaoh's command was that the baby boys be thrown into the Nile. So she throws them into the Nile, but in an ark. So what Pharaoh has said, the law has been completely observed. So she hasn't just gone, I can't keep him anymore. Let me just place him in a bush. She's placed him in the Nile. She's done exactly what Pharaoh says. And then what ends up happening is, is Pharaoh's daughter sees. So the person we're talking about today is Pharaoh's daughter because she's an unnamed hero of the Bible. She's one of my favorite people in the entire Bible. She's one of my favorite people because she reaches out and loves a people group that everyone else in her society is fearful of. Everyone else in her society sees them as something that is a problem, but she sees compassion. Her father sees they and them. She sees humanity's perspective of us. 
she is a woman who sees a situation that others go, what difference can I really make? And what difference does saving one child really make? What difference does it, what can I do? She does it. She does it at enormous risk. Regardless of being Pharaoh's daughter, that actually would make the stakes higher for her, not less. For someone else to break the rules would be one thing, but for Pharaoh's own house to be seen as doing this and sheltering this child, man, the stakes are so high for her. She could lose her head for this situation. She's risking absolutely everything. So Moses' mum is a genius because technically Pharaoh's daughter can say, hey, the baby was thrown into the Nile. Just kind of taking it out again, but you know. Pharaoh commanded they'd be thrown into the Nile. When she can no longer hide him, she did what the law said and she put it there and it saved his life. Pharaoh's daughter stands up to her dad and sees things different. On the one hand side, we have this man seeing they and them. So often it's so easy in our society to see they and them. You can see it across every area of life. You can see it in office politics. We can see it in, 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 in race. We can see it in gender. We can see it in gender right now in the UK. We can see about the pay difference in so many jobs in so many areas, how women are paid a different wage. Even when it comes to like celebrity lifestyles, it's no different in Hollywood than it is in any other line of work. It's no different in TV. It's no different in so many roles in management positions. There is this they and them. There is this system that we live in and around us. And actually, in our society, it's so easy for so many to look at people who have a different sexuality in a way where it's they and them. It's so easy to look at people who see the world differently. It's so easy in this society to look at Muslims in a particular way and see they and them. You see, with the whole situation with how people view Muslims today, can be seen as an existential threat. You can see it the same way as Pharaoh, Pharaoh did. Or you can be like Pharaoh's daughter. Pharaoh's daughter has a compassionate heart for saving. Pharaoh has a fearful heart that acts to protect his own interests instead of reaching out and loving the interests and serving the interests of others. Do you see how so quickly you can go down one path or the other? So quickly. You look at the story and you can look at Pharaoh and go, he's a monster, he's an absolute monster, but it's not that different from you and I in any situation to very quickly see a they or a them. And it's very, very quick as well to just pivot to a us. It's, it's, it's a pivot, it's like basketball, it's just a pivot, which way you go, whether you go left or you go right. They, them, or us. Well, how do you see the world? Who do you see as they and them? Who do you see as us? What is your mentality? Is your mentality to, to crush people or is your mentality to save people. Man, I love Pharaoh's daughter. She is just an absolute G. See, loving your neighbor solves a problem on an international scale. The greatest commandment that Jesus ever gave us, that the Bible ever gave us, in the Old Testament, the New Testament, it's affirmed in both, is to love one another as I have loved you. It's to love God with all that we are and love our neighbor as ourselves. That consumes and fulfills the whole of the law. A rich lawyer came to Jesus, a bit of a hotshot, and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He wasn't speaking about longevity. He was speaking about, from a Jewish perspective, what it truly means to be alive, to have a quality of life that is considered living as Adam would consider living. And Jesus says to him, well, how do you read the law? What he's saying is, how do you hear it? The Jewish people called the, the greatest commandment the Shema, which means to hear. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. And this Jewish lawyer says, well, this is what it means. And then Jesus said, you will receive life. And then the young man said, well, yeah, but who's my neighbor? And then Jesus goes on a really long story 
about racial inequality. And he says the word Samaritan as many times as he can. Drops it all the way through. The Samaritan's the hero. Samaritan, 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 Samaritan. People didn't even like to say the word Samaritan. And when it comes to the end, Jesus goes, so who was the neighbor to the man? And he can't even call him a Samaritan. He says the one who showed him mercy. He can't even say their name. That's how big a they they are. He can't even call them what they are and who they are and accept them. Who is it that you and I have? Maybe it's not along the bounds of a racial divide or a class divide or a people group. Maybe for us as a person that's hurt us so deeply, we just can't even say their name. Are we gonna keep those people as theys or are we gonna see it as us? Are we gonna quickly become, it's okay to be Pharaoh to these people? Because that's what the, the lawyer's question is. Who is my neighbor? He's not asking who do I have to love, he's asking who don't I have to love? Who can I cut off? Who is it okay to hate on? Who is it okay to say they are a they and we are the ones and they are that? That's what the question's really about. It's not about who you wanna love. Loving your neighbor solves problems on an international scale. Loving the person put in front of you has a knock-on effect. Pharaoh's daughter would have had no idea that saving this one child would save an entire nation from slavery. She had no idea. She just did what God had placed in front of her. You know, the way the rabbis speak of her is they call her the hero in the story. There are rabbis in, in, the, in the tradition of the, the Midrash and the Oral Torah that have spoken of her and place the emphasis on her rather on, on, on Moses. Moses, they're his own people and he has this kind of connection with them and it's part of his identity. It's not her identity. It's not her story. It's not her national interest. It's not. But she steps out and she risks so much for so little. Pharaoh's daughter probably never had the intention of setting all of Israel free, but she did the moment she pulled that baby out of the bulrushes and named him Moses. Who's in your bulrushes? Who in your life have you got hiding, laying around the bulrushes? Who is that person that's just right in front of you that actually you should be stepping out to save, to love and to serve? That you're not because you see them as a they, as a, instead of an us. But actually, you no. Know, the funny thing is, this series is kind of called Nameless, but I've kind of cheated today because we kind of know her name. So in 1 Chronicles 4 verse 17, 1 Chronicles chapter 4 verse 17, the sons of Ezra, um, it mentions these are the sons of Bithia, the daughter of Pharaoh. And she conceived and bore some kids. And his, it says, um, Jewish wife, his Jewish wife. It's crazy when you read that passage. Absolutely crazy. It's, it's a weird one. It seems like it's just this piece of information that's just thrown in there later. But you see, she still qualifies as nameless because that's actually not her name. That's not her Egyptian name. That's her Hebrew name. There's an amazing twist that takes place in this story. Uh, the Midrash relates the daughter of Pharaoh received her name Bithia as literally meaning daughter of God. And here's what the rabbis say about it. They say that God said this to her as a reward for her actions. Moses was not your son, yet you called him your son. You are not my daughter, but I call you my daughter. Man, so often you and I, mm, we can get caught up in this, in this system of who is and who isn't. Yet the twist here was a person that God calls his child is someone who makes people their child that isn't their child. 
and takes ownership of them as if they were. And that is someone that God rushes out to call his daughter. I love that because when we look in the New Testament, we see the Son of God in Jesus and how he acts and who he is. And actually we've seen the daughter of God in Biphia and Pharaoh's daughter. We see the exact same type of person. Because we can talk about Jesus being Jewish and we can kind of talk about that till the cows come home. But ultimately, he was in the form of God and became like one of us to save us. He stepped outside and reached out to those who were outside of himself. And that's exactly who God calls you and I to be. And it also says about her being his Jewish wife, the word used there. Since she was an Egyptian, um, that's shocking. It's crazy. But they say that Biffy received this because of her, her rejection of idolatry. You see, there's one thing in the story that you and I missed because we're not from a Jewish background. The story starts with her going to the Nile to wash. And we see it as like, oh, she's going to have a bath. We all have baths, we all have showers. This is kind of this. But actually, from a Jewish perspective, when they read that story, one of the things that many different rabbis and commentators say is actually that's not what she's doing. She's going into the Nile to be cleansed. It's a spiritual cleansing. It's like baptism. It's that she's washing away her idolatry. She's washing away the actions of her father. And then this opportunity at this conscious decision of washing away who she is to find something more, to find something better, to find something greater, this child is just brought along and comes in the moment she makes that decision. I want to suggest today that maybe you and I need to have a moment where we come to God for some sort of spiritual cleansing, where we just say, God, you know what, I'm coming down. I'm coming down into the Nile. I'm coming down into my waters. I want to connect with you. I want you to wash me. I want you to cleanse me, Father, because I need you to present me an opportunity to meet a they. Someone who I don't see as being your child. Someone who I don't see necessarily as being a person that, that I should love on. And we need to become people that become open to it. Because the truth is we can live, go through life as a Christian, doing loads of conferences, having worship with smoke machines and flashing lights and all of those things and never love the day in front of us. And if that's the Christian life you wanna live, you'll never know what Jesus said meant to truly be alive. You'll just exist. The rich young ruler had a question. He didn't go to Jesus, what does it mean to truly be alive? And Jesus said, well, hey man, if you go to one of those conferences and we could have some smoke machines and flashing lights, we play the music really loud. If we cry and fall on our faces, if we roll around, foam at the mouth, we do all that kind of stuff, you'll know what it means to be alive. He doesn't. He says, you love your neighbor. You love your neighbor and you love God. You do something, it comes out, it's an action, it's a thing. And it's not just for those that you're comfortable with loving, it's loving those you're not comfortable with loving. That's what it means to truly be alive. And my encouragement for you and for me is this morning we would see this absolute hero of the faith. We don't know her original name. We just know that whatever name she had is forgotten and erased from time. But the name that stands is daughter of God. You know, I want to be a child of God. I want to be a daughter of God. I want to be a son of God. I want to be his kid. I want to be known as someone who loves the they. Those outside of my group. I want to pray for us today and then I want to kind of finish this one. Father God, I thank you that you are a God that didn't see the they because if you saw the they, you would have seen me as someone that you would not have wanted to reach out and save or have love upon or compassion or empower or use or to be with or to associate yourself. You wouldn't want to associate yourself with me, but you saw your child. I was not your child, but you called me your child. May I be someone who sees people who are not your children, but loves them as if they are. 
And may I be someone who sees people and takes them on as my own. Not waiting for someone else to take responsibility, but for me to take responsibility for those I have no responsibility for, except for the responsibility I have to be like you, to be as you are. So often we see things in the world around us that we would love to see change, but we feel powerless to do so, and so we don't do anything. But actually Pharaoh stepped out, Pharaoh's daughter stepped out and she delivered an entire nation from slavery just because she saved one little baby boy. Who knows the knock-on effect that will happen if you and I and the rest of us together collectively start to step out and save the days around us and love them. Father, would you do that in us, I pray. I pray, Father God, you would also forgive us for those times where we've seen the days around us when we should have just seen us and people to love. Forgive us, but may we not continue to live in that sin. May we see everyone as your child and worthy of reaching out of your love, your compassion and your gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. We really hope you enjoyed today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about City Hill, please visit our website, cityhill.london.